Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with you and some amazing individuals. Another edition of Words from the Wise today. Today, we're going to be sharing with you a collection of tremendous wisdom from tremendously wise individuals on Elevate Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about habits and how critically important they are to understand how they can create so much momentum in our life, the good or the bad. Really, it takes us from either accomplishing and achieving great things and designing an amazing life or living a life of extreme challenge. And I think ultimately, if we can hone in and we can understand what really drives our habits and understand how to hack that system, we can create so much more in our life. We can become such higher performers in our business. We can create better return on investment in our investments uh, based on our habits. And so I think that's why I would imagine you enjoy Elevate Podcast so much is because you see that there are patterns. We're going to observe those patterns today. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Today is no different. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a high-performance real estate investor and business coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts so you can elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And before we dive into this episode, if you are here, we appreciate you being here. We are so thankful to have the opportunity to pour into you. So thank you for listening to Elevate and pay the fee. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and grab the link, share this with one person. That's all we ask is that you share this with one friend, pay it forward. That's the fee. Otherwise, it's 100% for free. You can also post this on social media. We invite you to do that now. So take a moment to do that. Also give us a rating, a review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Um, because you know what, it, it's very important to us, first of all, that we receive your feedback in the form of a rating and a review, but it's also very important that you get notified for future episodes because we're going to continue to bring the heat. And with all that said, I just want to thank you so much for your support. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for investing in yourself. And without further ado, let me invest in you because I want to start off with an amazing quote by the great Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit, one of my favorite books uh, of all time. And uh, of course, today we're going to be talking about habits and how critically important those are. And we're going to be sharing words from the wise. But I want to start off with this quote. He says, once you understand that habits can change, you have the freedom and the responsibility to remake them. So again, once you understand that habits can change, you have the freedom and the responsibility to remake them. It's so interesting. When I read his book, there were some habits that I had that I knew I was like, you know, I need to break these bad habits. I know I do. But I remember his book sat on my shelf 
honestly, for months, maybe even close to a year. Cause I was like, you know, deep down, I didn't want to break those bad habits. And I knew that once I started to shine some light on them, I would have to, uh, you know, own up to that and start to make some changes. And I think that today's show is about giving you power. It's about giving you back freedom because we're not the victims of circumstances. We're the victors on the way to victory. And today's about giving you the tools to actually do that and to be that. So when I invite you to step into that today and recognize that, you know, hard choices equal an easy life, easy choices equal a hard life. And ultimately that comes down to habits and what habits do you have today that are supporting the future vision that you have for yourself, for your family, for your lifestyle, for your finances, for the way that you're spending your time, for the people that you're spending your time with, you know, your habits ultimately lead to all of those things. So I definitely want you to buckle up and enjoy this. Um, but also recognize that this is putting you in position to make a change, make adjustments. A couple other uh, thoughts before we dive into this episode. Warren Buffett, he said, chains of habit are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. I agree with this in some senses. In other senses, I disagree because I think there's always a way for us to break bad habits. And, you know, it can be more challenging than others when they become extremely ingrained over years and years and, of course, decades. And so we've got to take an inventory of, you know, where are we going? Are we going up or are we going down? And, um, you know, let's make a choice today to turn that ship around. It may take a long time. It may be painful. Um, you may fall off the wagon, so to speak, uh, but it's still worth it. You know, your future and your dreams and your goals and the vision that you have is worth it. It's worth a little bit of challenge. It's worth a little bit of discomfort. And, you know, this, there may be some discomfort involved in this. Jim Rohn said, motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. So let's make it a habit to be high performers. Let's make it a habit to be great because that's what we were born to do. We were born to expand. We were born to elevate. We were born to do big things. We were designed to go big. And it comes down to taking an inventory of our habits and creating and designing habits that are empowering. And that's what today is all about. So I want to encourage you to enjoy this episode and buckle up. And without further ado, please enjoy another episode of Elevate Podcast Words from the Wise. Episode 210, Don Yeager, The Journey to Greatness and the Art of Storytelling. You know, are there any of the top one, two, or three habits that have you've seen have been just repeated over and over that are really a pattern between some of the greatest coaches, some of the greatest athletes, and so forth? Yeah, in fact, the number one answer that came up, uh, you know, when, when I went back to try to calculate and, and add up and, you know, yes, they said it this way, but I think I could put them in the same category. Um, the number one answer was that the truly great ones uh, at some stage in their life, because it, it's not natural, it doesn't happen, right? They learn to hate losing more than they love winning, right? And they want that success is what they expected to come their way. That's what they set out to do, be successful. Uh, it doesn't give them the thrill. Success doesn't give them the thrill that it gives most of the rest of us. But failure failure leaves a mark in a way that is um, uh, this defining for them and the way they do that. And this was the kind of, again, I think it's interesting to have the concept, the habit, then how do you, how do you exercise the habit is they stop making excuses when things don't go their way. Because if you can blame the moment, if you can blame a failure, if you can blame a loss 
on a surface or the referee or the ball was slick or whatever it is, right? If you can blame the loss on someone else, you never own it. And if you never own it, you'll never hate it. <clears throat> and so if you want to learn to hate losing, stop making excuses when it happens. And as Michael Jordan once said to me, a loss is not a failure until you make an excuse, right? So uh, don't, you know, use that, use that loss. I love Nick Saban says, right? Don't ever waste a, don't ever waste a good loss. And, you know, you're thinking, wow, there's, there's such a thing as a good loss. Yeah. There's good <laughs> loss if you're better as a result. Mm. So it's really about that thinking, right? You, you've talked about fundamental principles before, and really almost you break them down into four categories, right? And, and those, those categories are the great ones. They really focus on how do they think, how do they prepare, how do they work and how do they live, right? And Correct. so what you're talking about is almost the thinking mechanism. And it's it's so important for, for listeners to really delineate this because when we talk about success in building a business or being successful as an investor and creating bigger outcomes and creating things not only for your own family and other people around you, it is about your perspective. It is about your mindset. Episode 220, Laird Hamilton, Catch Every Wave how to face your greatest fears, get fit and do big things. Think about the stress on the system to be exposed to fear. What, how stressful it is. Like it, like some people, when they get really scared, just go to sleep. That's how stressful it is. Right. So when you've been exposed to danger often, especially in your upbringing, like you would, if you were a climber and you were climbing on mountains that if you fell, you died. So when you have been exposed to, to stressful situation, often, the system has to have, can't take the load of the stress because first of all, you're not dying. So the first time your body's like, Oh, you're going to die. Be careful. This and that and second time, the thousandth time that you've been in that situation and you didn't die. The body's like, well, I'm not going to be so stressed because you know what? It takes a lot of energy and I don't, I need to conserve energy because that's what we do. We always are looking for ways to, to, you know, the comfort crisis, right? We're always looking for ways to be more comfortable, to be safer, to right. avoid anything that's, you know, it's hot. Let's put the AC on. It's cold. Let's put the heater on. And I mean, we're just looking to avoid stress at every situation, even though we really excel in stress. But so in that, in that being said, we're going to look, the body's going to adapt and it's not going to, it's not going to allow you to, to, to be scared in these situations that would normally make people frightened out of their mind because you've been there so many times, the body just can't take the, take, take the stress. It's like, Hey, you didn't die. So I'm not going to be so fearful because you didn't die, which would justify why I would. So I'm going to make you not be so fearful. And so I think that that, and when you live in that, you know, it's like I said, as a young kid, I'm ripped out to sea. I thought I was probably, I probably thought I was going to drown every second day, you know, as a young child being sucked out in the rip current where people do drown all the time. You're like, Oh, I'm going to die. And then you don't die. And then oh, I'm going to die today. Oh, I'm going to die. Pretty soon. You're like, well, I'm not going to die. You know, and you go the other way. Right. Which I don't know if that's good either, but, but right. you start going the other way. Like where, you know, I don't know if you think you're invincible, but you do I mean, the ocean doesn't allow you to think you're invincible because, because you're not, but it, but it, it does, it does, uh, you know, you will learn, you will learn, uh, that, wow, I survived that. I survived that. I survived that. And so 
then it's like, okay, well now you're just not going to, we're not going to. I've been able to spend some time with the great rich Divini, the Navy SEAL commander. And, you know, he's, he's a frogman, right? I mean, you know, one of the greatest human beings, the greatest Americans, you know, this world has ever seen, but I just admire him so much. He shared a story with me and, and actually more, more of, you know, his experience is that sometimes when he's underwater, he could fall asleep. And obviously that's not good. We don't want him to fall asleep underwater, but he's, he's gotten so comfortable with the level of stress Mm. in that environment that it's almost made him more comfortable than, you know, comfort. You're talking about the comfort crisis. I mean, that's, it's interesting. I mean, so have you gotten to that point as well? Submission. Yeah. Yeah. You submit. Well, you submit to it again. I think it's part, I think submission is one of the reactions to overcome this, the, the stress. I think it's a a byproduct of being put in these stressful situations so often that I think that one of the other ones is submission where you just kind of submit and you're okay with, with it to the point where you almost start to where, where it becomes a danger, right? Like, like it becomes, it starts to become dangerous if you're that comfortable. Cause so you want to have a level of it. Like you want to have a level of because complacency in danger is death. Like you don't want to be complacent, but there is something about survival that demands complacency. Like it demands a, in, in, in stressful situations because it's just too taxing on the system. The body just can't, the emotions, the thing, I mean, it's just too taxing. You're just too, I mean, you, you know, people know like, hey, you get scared, it makes you exhausted. Especially if you've been really scared and if you've been scared for a long period of time, you're just annihilated. You're just like, you know, <laughs> and I think, so I think that trickles down into everything we do, right? Mm-hmm. That, 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 now that's going to take, now there's going to be, Hey, fear of, you know, public speaking. Why? Cause you won't be accepted by the tribe, fear of failure of this. And like, I'm going to look be embarrassed in the community and right. fear, I mean, you're just all, oh, because that's the same fear. Don't, don't kid yourself. That's not a different fear. The fear of climbing up the cliff isn't, isn't any different than the fear of, you know, being humiliated in your class because something, ha- you know, like th- that's all connected. Those, those are all yeah. part of the same mechanism. And so if you have, I mean, the truth is that's why if you have a level of relationship with fear in certain areas, it makes it a lot easier to do other things. Like when you go into other things that you're, you're less concerned about those fears because you already have a relationship with fear. Episode 118, Elevate Exclusive with Tyler, Conscious Habits. So, you know, I want to I want to reference a few of the things here that Charles Duhigg talks about. He says, and this is according to a Duke University study, um, is that 40% of actions people perform daily are not actual decisions, but habits. So if you think about it that way, it's like, all right, if our destiny is shaped by the way that we act and 40% of our actions daily are habits, there's a huge opportunity here. What can we do to identify where we're spending 40% of our activity. And, you know, our brain doesn't delineate between a good and a bad habit, a good and a bad action. It's just, hey, I'm looking for a reward. And we're going to talk about what Charles Duhigg talks about in terms of the habit loop here shortly. Um, But it's important to also know is that habits are not our destiny. They don't have to be our destiny. We can actually, habits can be changed if we understand how they work, number one, and also if we know where to look. And the other important note here is that what Charles Duhigg says is that at one point, we all consciously decided how much to eat and what to focus on when we go to the office, how often to have a drink or when to go for a jog. Then at some point, we stopped making a choice and the the behavior became automatic. It's natural consequence. It is a natural consequence of our neurology. 
And by understanding how it happens, you can rebuild those patterns whichever way you choose, which is super exciting. I mean, I don't know if you guys think it's as exciting as I do, but I think it's, you know, obviously it starts with awareness, right? We have an awareness that our brains are trying to save energy by creating habits and, you know, identifying a, you know, a reward and doing something automatically to obtain that reward. And it's really interesting when you start to break it down that way, it starts to, you know, the walls start to fall down. It's like the Berlin wall. You start to see that this can actually crumble and you can actually win. You can actually conquer this situation. I think it's so exciting. This process within our brains, Duig says, is a three-step loop. First, there's a cue, right? There's a trigger that tells your brain to go in automatic mode and which habit to use. Then there's a routine, which can be physical, mental, or emotional, which I think is really, really important to really delineate. It can be physical, mental, or emotional. And then finally, there is a reward, which helps your brain figure out if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. You know, so if you think about it, it's like, you know, I think about my dog, Bruno, um, you know, the, uh, the, the cue in the environment is, hey, Bruno, are you hungry? And it's amazing because he knows what that word means. And his mouth just starts drooling. I mean, he starts drooling all over the floor. And obviously, that cue has now triggered a routine for him to start drooling, you know, and um, obviously the reward is the meal, right? But the word was the cue, you know, are you hungry? And, you know, how many cues do we have in our environment that are triggering, you know, certain routines, which were ultimately subconsciously or consciously, perhaps there is a, there is a conscious level that we're looking to attain a certain reward, you know, whatever that may be for you, you know, if you're, if your phone buzzes in your pocket, you know, there's a cue in your environment that says, Hey, wait a minute, someone has sent me something interesting. And perhaps from a very subconscious level, you're saying, well, wait a minute, I, I need to look at this. I need to pull this out immediately. I need to, I need to react. Right. And so I'm not saying this is good or bad, but it's just an example of what is a cue in our environment. So I think it's really, really, really interesting. Once you start to break it down, you start to realize what is this habit loop? you know, if you want to create conscious, you know, conscious habits, you know, really what it's all about is about identifying a simple and obvious cue, right? And then clearly defining the rewards. Because studies show that people who have successfully started new exercise routines, for example, show that they're more likely to stick with a workout plan if they choose a specific cue, such as running as soon as they get home from work and a clear reward, such as a beer or on an evening of guilt-free television, right? Research dieting says that creating new food habits requires a predetermined cue, such as planning menus in advance and simple rewards for dieters when they stick to their intention. So I think it's really interesting. So there's a, there's a plan here, right? You can identify, you know, what the rewards are. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like reward yourself for sticking to your plan. And at, at a certain point in time, your choices then become habits. And what can you do to identify, you know, what's empowering and what's disempowering in your life? Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassle 
hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Episode 115, Self-Awareness, Mastery, and the One Thing with best-selling author Jay Papazon. Habits of leadership. The, the things that I do now that I didn't do then, I was not methodical about building a database. And um, I got to meet, I can't remember the, the guy who wrote Go, the Swim with the Sharks book, but he, Harvey McKay, maybe, I think is his name, but he just said, you know, if you use your brain for a database, you've got a really poor database. And being systematic around identifying relationships that matter and following up and building relationships is incredibly important in business and life. And um, I'm the kind of friend that traditionally love people from a distance. Like I loved it when I reconnected, but like I, it wasn't in my repertoire of natural activities to think to pick up the phone and call. Right. Right. I was always the person that other people called. And um, I actually had to go to a funeral where I heard a brother eulogizing his brother and saying that his regret was that he was that person and he wasn't, hadn't been calling his brother, the person that mattered the most. And I remember sitting in the audience going, oh crap, that's me. And I could be eulogizing my mom, my sister, my best friend, and they're the ones who always called me. Mm. And so it was about a choice not to live with regret that I realized I needed to build systems in my life where I could be methodical about identifying the relationships that matter most to me and being methodical about building those relationships. And it sounds like programmatic, but a classic CRM, like a sales CRM will nudge you and say, hey, it's time to call Tyler. You haven't talked to him in six months. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I made a goal to build a database and add at least 50 people a year that were in some way exceptional. And I've been doing that for almost seven years now. And that's a really slow, I'm an introvert, one person a week. That's really low bar. My wife laughs at me because she's a realtor. She's like meeting people all the time. <laughs> but I just wanted to earn the right to get in relationship with someone and earn the right to follow up. And now I do like a monthly newsletter to those people that I've mm -hmm. added. Like I have a system that works for my personality. I, I, I could say I'm going to call them four times a year, but I won't. But I can put them all on an email list that they, they hear from me at least once a month. And then they have an invitation to write back. So I just call it getting purposeful around something I now realize is really important. And I've launched two businesses from those relationships. I've hired dozens of employees for my wife's businesses and mine, because even though I wasn't saying I'm only going to meet with people I'm going to hire, it's very open. I just want to meet with someone who's really good at what they do. And I can say, Tyler, I've heard you're really good at podcasting. Can I take you to coffee? And people are like, really? That's nice. And so my coffee date, my weekly coffee date became a kind of platform. You know this, you're on a podcast. It doesn't matter if you have two listeners. People are like, sure, you can interview me. And they're kind of flattered. It's a platform and it's an attractor. It's a reason for asking. So I would just say, um, whatever you do as an investor, as a business person, as a leader, as a leader of yourself, you won't probably do as much as you could alone so you might as well get purposeful about building a system for managing the, the important relationships and adding new ones. Episode 113, Michael Easter, 
claiming your life-changing transformation through discomfort. In a previous life, I actually do, I did marketing for a restaurant company and, and we did this survey, right? We did this huge survey because we're trying to figure out how do we you know, evolve our menu? And I'm, I'll get to the point here in a second, but we, we sent out the survey and I'll tell you, most people responded to the survey and said, hey, we want more healthy options. We want more healthy options. And the comments, you know, from the head were, hey, we want to make better, you know, better healthy decisions in our life in terms of our consumption. And when we did this, when we made some shifts and we added more healthy options, they tanked. I mean, people didn't buy the healthy options. They wouldn't eat healthy. So it's almost like you have to you have to understand our natural tendencies to not do things that are really good for us or do things that are uncomfortable. So how do we build this into our life otherwise? But do you have any thoughts on that? I'm not shocked. I mean, I think that everyone, (laughs) everyone wants to eat healthier, right? Right. Does everyone eat healthier? (laughs) Doesn't seem to be. (laughs) Um, So there's this gap between like intention and intervention, right? Um, you know, in the book, uh, in terms of, I have a section on hunger and, uh, I think that the way that nutrition science and diet culture is set up is that, you know, every named diet, it goes by the same basic formula. And that's that there is one food that is the enemy. It is the, it is the evil thing. It's an ingredient to food, it's a macronutrients. And, and that, that's the reason you're fat. That's the reason for all your problems, right? Yeah, yeah. So like low carb, carbs are the enemy. Low fat, fat's the enemy. Mediterranean diet, foods that are not from the Mediterranean, <laughs> those are why you're fat. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, um, when they do studies and they'll put people on these kind of diets, and as long as people comply, people lose weight. So why is that? It's because at the end of the day, it's calories. It's calories in, calories out. Like it's pretty basic physics. So then the question becomes, all right, if we're all overweight uh, and people keep hopping in on and off different diets, what's the disconnect? It's that we can't stay on the diet long enough. Well, why is that? It's because we can't deal with hunger. So hunger is really the rate limiting step because once you start to lose weight because of our evolutionary past, our body, when we would lose weight, it would basically think that, oh, things, something's wrong here. Mm Mm-hmm. So your metabolism slows down, even your, um, incidental movement, you'll move less. Um, if you get really into a calorie deficit, even your body temperature lowers in order to save energy. So you have to basically start to become comfortable with the discomfort of hunger. And I think that's really what, um, why people can't lose weight consistently. You know, most people, I think 90 something percent of diets fail every year. So being willing to, um, feel that and also realizing that, you know, today, a lot of what we think of as hunger is often just stress or you're used to eating at a certain time. So your body's like, Hey, feed me. You know, Mm -hmm. the research says that, um, only 20% of our eating is actually driven by real physiological hunger. So I met this, um, this guy in Austin and he owns this nutrition company and he's like super, super, super genius. You know, he like got his PhD when he was 22, graduated college when he was 18. Wow. And he has a nutrition company now. And you know, he, what he really does is he helps people become, he doesn't care what you eat. He cares why you eat. So he helps people 
not eat when they're not hungry, which tends to be a lot of extra eating for people. And he also makes people more aware of how much they're eating. Cause that's another thing is we, we have no idea, you know, our body always defaults to more food, more food has made sense throughout all of time, except for the last hundred years. So sort of building awareness into your day about what are your behaviors? Why do you have those behaviors? Are you sure you, uh, are you sure you're right about what you think your behaviors are? I think that that not only extends to food, that extends to everything in your life, right? A lot of people today, when they want to improve their life a notch or, you know, improve their performance, um, in whatever domain it is, they try and add shiny new things and step mm. on the gas. I'm going to do this new thing. This is the thing when really they're often not aware of their behaviors that are holding them back. They still have a foot on the brake. Doesn't you can't go that much faster if your foot is still on the brake. So sort of building in habits that make you aware of, okay, what is holding me back? I think, and just removing those limiters to progress can be a lot more effective than just adding new stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was talking to a neuroscientist recently on this, this exact topic. And he was talking about folks that uh, smoke as an example. He's like, when we place awareness on smoking and the sensations of, Hey, what do you actually like about this smoking? It, he's like, it's really interesting because, and, and of course he's not as interested as I am in it. Cause he knows exactly what's going on in the brain. But he says, look, you know, people start to realize that really, if we get to the root cause of this behavior or this habit, it was really because it made them feel cool you know, several decades ago, and it's just become this ingrained habit and they don't actually enjoy that sensation. And it's really, really interesting. So it's like separating the awareness from the activity. And just yeah. to your point on food, you know, we're not aware sometimes of how much we're, you know, engaging in or, or, or other behaviors, whether it's scrolling social media or doing things that really are taking us away from focus, right? You totally. know, it's almost like we've got to be focused, but what, what comments do you have on that? Yeah. I, I talk about this a little bit in the book. There's this, um, there's this thing called the Hawthorne effect and scientists hate it. It's a nuisance to scientists. And it basically states that when you, uh, when a subject in a study is being observed, their behavior changes, but you can actually leverage this for good in your own life. If you start to track what you do, when, and why all of a sudden you become aware of things and you can use it to change your behavior. So it's sort of like leveraging the Hawthorne effect in order to, get an outcome that you want. Because I think that people just aren't, um, you know, we, we're always going to do the thing that's most comfortable unconsciously. Yeah. We have two, 2.5 million years of wiring telling us to do that. Why wouldn't you? Right. But that doesn't always work. So we need to be aware of, of this kind of stuff unconsciously. Yeah. We have two, 2.5 million years of wiring telling us to do that. Why wouldn't you? Episode 179, Dr. Judd Brewer how to optimize your habits through practical neuroscience. We're not sure if it's safe and we see some danger, you know, the proverbial saber to tiger, we run away. There's the behavior and then the result is that we survive, you know, that's the reward. And those, those feedback, you know, whether it's eating food and remembering where it is or seeing danger and remembering where it is, those feedback so that we learn that behavior, like go back to the food and don't go back to where the danger is. We form most of these behaviors this way. You know, think of it as, as simple as um, tying our shoes. You know, we learn how to tie our shoes. We don't trip. There's the reward. And mm. so uh, we, we quickly learn and habit start habitually tying our shoes. So that, that habit loop is at play everywhere. And 
it can be exploited, right? So if you look at social media, it's they've designed every aspect of social media to play on this habit loop to, you know, it's called reinforcement learning. You know, you do something that's reinforcing and then people are more likely to use your social media product, for example. Or what I see, you know, as an addiction psychiatrist, any drug of abuse is reinforced, you know, has reinforcing qualities. Even food has reinforcing qualities, not just because of the caloric value of food, but also as a way to make us feel good. So, for example, if we're stressed out, there's the trigger. We eat some chocolate, for example, there's the behavior. Our, <laughs> you know, Then, oh, we can avoid that unpleasant feeling of stress by focusing on the pleasant feeling or the pleasant taste of the chocolate itself. And then that feeds back and says, next time you're stressed, you should eat chocolate. I think it's really important because now we can understand, right? You know, what, it, what is actually triggering a behavior, which ultimately is leading to a result, right? And, and sometimes you look at the result and maybe we can get deeper, right? We can, we can almost apply our curiosity and say, well, what is truly the result that we're after, right? Because mm -hmm. in some sense, you might say, well, uh, you know, the result I'm after is the beautiful taste of this chocolate cake, or it's, you know, this amazing taste of this beer, or maybe it's a buzz, you know, from, you know, having a drink or, or, or doing, you know, or engaging in some substance. Right. But really you're after some other result or some alternative result. So maybe getting curious on that and being aware of that. What would you say about that? Well, I would say that's actually a key aspect to breaking bad habits. You know, so my lab's been studying this. I, I wrote a bit about this in, in my Unwinding Anxiety book, where even anxiety can be driven as a habit. Uh, but with my lab just published a study where you know, we have this app called Eat Right Now, where it helps people, you know, are stressed or emotional eating. And we built in this tool where we could actually measure how rewarding behavior is in the brain. And the hypothesis is, is that to change any habit, you have to pay attention to how rewarding it is right now. So often we lay down a habit, for example, smoking, you know, uh, typically people, at least the folks in the studies that my lab has done, but I think this is pretty standard. Um, they start smoking at around the age of 13. And so they lay down a reward value of, you know, being cool at school or rebelling or whatever. And then they start smoking habitually and they are not paying attention to what it's like to smoke a cigarette. So this is also true with overeating. You know, people just habitually overeat. They're mindlessly, they don't pay attention. And so we can have people pay attention to these qualities of experience. Like if they're smoking a cigarette, we can have them pay attention as they smoke. If somebody's overeating, we can have them pay attention as they overeat. You ready for this? It only takes 10 to 15 times of walking people through uh, basically an awareness exercise to help them pay attention as they overeat for that reward value to drop below zero in their experience, which means that they shift from overeating to not overeating. So that's really tapping into you know bringing curiosity in as, uh, as you're bringing up. Curiosity helps us say, oh, you know, what am I getting from this? Episode 207, Robert D. Burr, how to build trust and create generational wealth through oil and gas investing. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Bob? Oh, I just love to hug people. Um, I never walk by a family that has small children, either the lady by herself or the husband and dad, without stopping 
and looking at them say, you know, you guys won the lottery. I said, do you understand the beauty of what you got right there? There's nothing prettier than a five year old knothead. Nothing. <laughs> uh, the other day I, I saw two ladies coming down. They had the little buggy and that damn thing was three stories. They had six of them in there and I'm driving down the road downtown. I just whipped over and, and stopped. I said, come here. I said, honey, that's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. Look at the Mona Lisa can't hold these cats alive. Cause they're so beautiful. They're so, so innocent, so loving. There's nothing prettier. That's how I keep myself humble and loving by hugging other people. Okay. I Man. passed a lady on the road the other day. She is 70 years old and had, it was cold. So it was last winter. She had like five pizzas in her arms. And I, I passed her, and I said, damn, that's terrible. So I turned around and come back and pull her. I said, get in here, lady. I said, where are you headed with those? All about two miles down there. I said, well, I'll give you a ride. So she gets in there, and I know I'm going to give her some money because I'm going to help her. She, she needed help. And she's, hell, she's older than I am. She's an old lady. And come to find out, she's raising her grandkids, and she lived way down below Kroger's down there. And I just had me a good visit with her and slid her $100 and Wished her happy holidays, but that's the deal. Cast it out, give it back. And you don't do it in a selfish way. You do it in a loving way because the good Lord, that's what he put you here for. I um, think he put me here to love people because I love to love people, man. It's I tell you what, good deal. I love this conversation. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the most successful people, when I ask them the biggest way that they elevate their life on a daily basis is about giving to other people. Damn right. And that's what you just described. And so is there anything else that you would say about elevating others around you? What's the biggest way otherwise that you elevate other people around you? You set the example. 30 years ago, I built a $100,000 gym. All kinds of steam rooms, saunas, all this stuff. I'm a ball player, so I've always worked out. So I started working out. I work out three days a week, five days a week. Sometimes I don't. And I go in there and I start working out and I feel that pain. And I said, Welcome back, stranger. <laughs> That's good stuff. And slowly, a bunch of my boys that worked for back then, we had a broker dealer and I had 50 brokers that were all NSD and FINRA and all that. And I was slowly, they started feeding in there. If the old man can do it, we can do it. Mm -hmm. Then I like to go down and they, they bench press and I, sh I beat their little butts. You know, I, I am competitive. <laughs> and, uh, but now I'm setting it in a wholesome example and not one that you're trying to feed them. You can't feed people. You got to love people. Love them and hug them and let them drop those guards and open up to you. And then maybe you can help them. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.